Good morning from the Financial Times. Today is Monday, April 6th, and this is your FT News Briefing. Yesterday, Boris Johnson was hospitalized, 10 days after being diagnosed with COVID-19. The UK Prime Minister has suffered persistent symptoms. Downing Street said Mr. Johnson's doctor advised the hospitalization as a, quote, precautionary step. Meanwhile, the death toll in the United States is closing in on 10,000 people as the country enters what President Donald Trump is calling a rough two weeks. And while much of the focus is on the U.S. and Europe and the U.K., the FT's David Pilling says emerging markets are struggling and will continue to struggle as this pandemic progresses. Plus, we'll take a look at how U.S. banks are fighting to keep their dividend payment plans and how major oil producers are handling the price war between Saudi Arabia and Russia. I'm Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need to start your day. So far, 85 countries have approached the International Monetary Fund for short-term emergency assistance in the wake of this pandemic. That's double the number of countries who reached out for help in the immediate aftermath of the 2008 financial crisis. But as the FT's Africa editor, David Pilling, explains, Things are different this time around for emerging markets, especially when you compare their situations to those in the U.S. and Europe. With Europe and the U.S., what happened was the coronavirus hit first, and then you had the kind of dawning of the economic impact and what that would mean. In a sense, with emerging markets, the reverse has happened, partly because of where they're located geographically and partly because of their ties to China. So what happened was you had the economic impact really hit the emerging markets hard, and now you're beginning to see the virus itself following behind. What areas are we seeing get hit the most, David? Well, they've been hit in a variety of ways. I mean, first of all, we've seen the absolute collapse of commodity prices. So for example, oil it was as low as $15 a barrel. It's risen a bit towards $30 a barrel. But this is far, far lower than the many countries uh, oil exporters can cope with. Nigeria's budget, for example, was based on a $57 oil a barrel price. Um, so its revenues have just kind of withered. Then you have tourism receipts, airline receipts, remittances, And then on top of all of that, you've had a huge sucking sound of investors withdrawing funds, billions and billions and billions of dollars of funds, four times more than they withdrew in a similar period after the 2008 global financial crisis. So a lot of emerging economies are really being hit by all sides. And now the virus has come. So now they they lack the resources, they lack the fiscal room to respond to the virus uh, in the way that they would like. David, you mentioned the 2008 financial crisis. As I understand it, emerging markets were able to recover relatively quickly from the crisis. There's a sense it won't be the same case this time around. Why is the coronavirus pandemic a different story? It is a different story for a number of reasons. 2008 was a banking crisis. This is a real world economy crisis. So emerging markets that want to export, well, we all know that the global economy is entering a recession, some even fear a depression. So who's going to buy what they have to offer? Emerging markets are also in general, you can't speak across the whole piece, but in general are more indebted than they were. The economies that I look at in Africa have been borrowing quite heavily on the eurobond markets. They've been borrowing from China. They're quite stretched fiscally, so they don't have too much 
to respond to this crisis with. And of course, on top of all that, you've got a health crisis, a very real world health crisis. So I think for all those reasons, that leaves a lot of emerging market economies very vulnerable. And David, where can these emerging markets look for help? Can the IMF and World Bank assist? Are, are there ways for these countries to recover? There are lots of ways. I think there's been complaints that the international community has been very slow off the blocks here. I mean, we've seen that in their response to their to the crisis on their, in their own backyards. But they've battened down the hatches because rich countries are fighting the virus themselves. However, we are now beginning to see people coming out and speaking on behalf of the emerging markets. So the IMF, for example, has made $50 billion available in quick dispersal funds. Now, a lot more money is going to be needed. So the IMF and the World Bank are backing calls for deferrals of debt payments, even perhaps the write-offs of some debt payments that's both bilateral and multilateral. And there's also talk of the creation of uh, special drawing rights, perhaps a trillion dollars of special drawing rights, which could then be dispersed among the countries that need them so that they have money to combat, as I say, both the kind of balance of payments and economic problems that they now face, but also mount a credible health response. Now, a look at how U.S. banks are fighting to keep their shareholder payout plans in this time of crisis. First, a quick refresher on how banks elsewhere are handling things. Britain? Well, last week, the U.K.'s largest lenders caved into pressure from the Bank of England to halt dividends. Europe? The European Banking Authority urged lenders to abandon shareholder payouts and share buybacks while banks deal with the coronavirus pandemic. Now, in the United States, it's a different story. U.S. banks are due to submit their annual capital plans to the Federal Reserve today. Sources say that in those plans, America's biggest banks, Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, Citigroup, will include proposals to continue paying dividends. It backs up what some of these banks' chief executives have been saying in recent days. Their argument is that they, one, have the means to continue paying dividends, and two, cutting dividends would be destabilizing to investors. Banks are also arguing that the circumstances in the U.S. and Europe are different. Goldman chief executive David Solomon told CNBC last week that in the U.S., the dividend is a much smaller part of capital return. The oil price war between Saudi Arabia and Russia is threatening major oil producers in countries such as the United States and Canada. The FT's U.S. energy editor, Derek Brower, explains why these countries are pushing back and some of the tactics they're considering. Producers in countries like the U.S. and Canada are suffering because the price of oil is so low, and it's too low for many of the producers in these countries to make any money at all. For example, in Canada, the price of oil last week got as low as $5 a barrel. Same thing in, in Texas and parts of the Bakken. Oil prices are way too low for some of these shale producers. The producers that have done so much to lead the U.S. to its position as the biggest oil producer in the world they can't survive at these prices either. So in Canada, in Alberta, and in Texas, there's been discussion about cutting supply in collaboration with OPEC. The other thing that they've been doing, these producers, is lobbying their governments hard to punish Saudi Arabia and Russia for starting the price collapse by declaring their price war at the beginning of March. And one of the measures that they've talked about, lobbied hard about, and is now under consideration by both governments, is tariffs on foreign oil coming in to Canada or the United States. A lot of the big producers 
the super majors and the integrated companies, the ones that own refineries, as well as upstream production and exploration businesses. They don't like that because they rely on some foreign oil to come into the refineries that they operate. So there's definitely an effort both to reach out diplomatically to Saudi Arabia and Russia. But if diplomacy doesn't work, the shale producers are lobbying hard and the governments in Canada and the US are both considering tariffs on these countries to force them to the negotiating table and force them to end this price war. And Eric, it did look like there was going to be a meeting between OPEC plus member countries today, but oil prices opened on Sunday night down 12% after some drama over the weekend. What happened there? So they've been talking in the past week about holding another meeting where they might discuss more production cuts. The problem is this. Saudi Arabia has said all along that if it's going to cut supply, it wants everybody else to be involved too. It wants Russia to be involved, as it has been in the past. But it also wants countries like Canada and, of course, the U.S., but the U.S. to be involved too, and Brazil and others. The problem with that is that the U.S. doesn't really want to get involved in these cuts, at a federal level anyway, and there's no, as yet, there's no endorsement for it. But in the meantime, Saudi Arabia and Russia, over the past two days, got quite testy with one another again. And the reason for this is that both of them seemed to try to accuse the other of seeking to damage U.S. shale, almost like they were both trying to suck up to the U.S. in some way. And they got into this competition of saying nasty things about one another over the past few days. And that has led to a bit of a standoff. Looks like there is no agreement to cut production again. And so they've had to postpone this meeting that was planned for today, later today, uh, until Thursday. And a lot of people in the market think it may be cancelled altogether. We'll see. I mean, our hunch is that it will still go ahead, but there's a lot of petro-diplomacy that needs to happen before there's anything like a kind of sufficient deal to cut supply that the market really wants. You can read more on all of these stories at FT.com. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back tomorrow for the latest business news. Hi, this is Janice Torres from Yo Quiero Dinero. From a local business to a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America gives your operation access to exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America N.A. Copyright 2024.